I think we're living in what I call a silent age. On, on the one hand, there's tons of noise everywhere. People feel very strongly about their opinions on everything and like to express it in um, social media, uh, express it in their families. Um, they like to see it reflected to them when they watch cable news. Um, people have opinions, but opinions don't really mean too much unless they're subject to some kind of test. And that test comes through debating things. And for the most part, people are not interested in debating. They have some, well, for the most part, they've picked up some talking points somewhere and they'd like to shout those out. Uh, and that's the extent of what they're willing to do. But it's basically meaningless. It's just kind of vapid. It's just some, you might pick up some talking points that feel nice to you and you decide to, you know, make them your cause. Um, but there's um, just not that much to that. And I think it's, you know, we've been living like this for a while, kind of scraping by in these, you know, so-called echo chambers. Um, but I think it's really come to a head now very strongly with this um, COVID crisis that's led to utter chaos and confusion. Um, because people basically just live in their own caves. You know, to use the analogy to like cavemen, you're just kind of in your cave with your view of the world. Other people are in their cave with their view of the world. And so it's like we've sort of just regress to the origins of humanity, um, kind of like undone every civilizing effort, undone the whole idea of people interacting, people seeing different viewpoints, people debating, and what we're left with is really ultimate like darkness. Uh, in terms of like knowledge, like the polar opposite of the enlightenment, the polar opposite of understanding things. And so we get, here's what we get. We have um, public health experts, uh, you know, by the names of Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci, um, who are tasked with handling this virus situation. They have a task force, but they're the ones in charge. And really, my understanding, I mean, I know, I know that Burks is the one who's the head of the task force, and yet the media, you wouldn't know that unless you read that somewhere, because the media... Uh, is really into Fauci bec um, because um, he 
sort of a well-known figure. He was, he's been around for a while. He was there for AIDS epidemic and all sorts of other epidemics. So he has that reputation, but he's not actually the leader, which sometimes it makes you wonder if, like, why, why do they kind of make it seem like he's the leader? Um, is it some kind of chauvinism? Um, they're tasked with um, kind of, you know, making kind of public health assessments, um, suggesting plans to the, the president um, for how the situation should be handled. Ultimately, it's the president's decision, you know, whether to approve their plans or not. Um, but so they're tasked with communication, and I don't, I don't particularly like blame them. I think they do their job pretty well. Um, they they do what they're tasked to do, but um, which is to you know work together, make decisions, and communicate the re reasoning for the decisions to the public. Uh, but we live in a different. Well, this situation is markedly different from anything else. I mean. Um, you know, there was a Spanish flu epidemic 100 years ago, but I, I don't believe it even lasted this long. I think it was maybe a matter of, you know, weeks or months that people were wearing masks, like one or two months, not like indefinitely like this. So it's a brand new situation, and these guys have been dealt with other epidemics in maybe third world countries, but not a global epidemic like this that affects literally every country and every economy. So they seem overtasked. Um, and so I, I guess the public is not really satisfied um, with them. And so then you know, everyone just has their opinions. And what we've got is just two echo chambers. On the one hand, we have the liberal echo chamber, which is just like the doom and gloom, panic, don't leave your house, you know, it's, you know, hide, head for the hills kind of thing. Of course, until, re you know, la the last month where we've had this George Floyd killing and subsequent protests and riots, where, of course, they just turned 180 into, yeah, just, you know, go and protest, riot, you know, it, forget the virus, it's secondary, as as one protester put it, um, the virus won't be here in 20 years, but, you know, if I don't go out and protest now, then institutional racism could still be here. Okay, so the, you know, these are the kinds of arguments we're dealing with. Um, so, yeah, but let's say pre-George Floyd, we had two echo chambers, this one, and then the Republican echo chamber just became kind of like, this is a joke. This is kind of like a big government 
kind of conspiracy, not the virus, but the whole reaction, um, you know, pointing to fairly, you know, strong data points, for instance, that the median, the globally, the median age of people dying of this is like 80, pointing to the success of Sweden in containing the situation um, without drastic measures, fairly liberal measures, no lockdowns, I don't think even masks, fairly liberal, and their, their numbers were comparable with neighboring countries and other European countries, um, although, as you know, as a caveat, it did have higher amount of death, higher death. Their ratio of deaths to confirmed cases was higher than all neighboring countries. I'm not really sure why that is. Is it because they're not counting cases well enough? Is it um, not protecting the nursing homes enough? Are they, you know, kind of overcounting? We have evidence of, you know, like in the U.S. of very low standards for something counting as a COVID death. In fact, they don't even need to know that you had COVID to count you as a COVID death. You know, if there was COVID in the hospital and you had any flu symptoms and you died, they count it as a COVID death. So I, I don't know. But you're looking at Sweden, and so people are thinking maybe these, you know, quote-unquote experts don't really know what they're talking about because if if they did then why are there comparable numbers in Sweden and Finland and Norway um, despite Sweden having a much more liberal approach no lockdown ultimately it's two echo chambers one is like pure panic versus the second is like forget it it's a non-issue, it's just the government's messing with us. And um, neither is really right, as usual. The truth is somewhere in the middle. And this is where, there sh in a liberal society, there should be debate. As in, you could have like a station like CNN, or you could have a conservative and a liberal debate, or you could have a... You could have a some sort of epidemiologist debate, another epidemiologist. You got people with different perspectives debate these things, and that kind of helps people get a better understanding of what's going on. But as such, we don't really have anything useful. We just have noise. We just have people with their opinions and talking heads, kind of just mirroring what they think their audience is thinking. And so people are left, you know, in the dark, in the cave, living like cavemen. And kind of like, you know, it's a kind of apt metaphor, because it's like your house is your cave. And you're told you can't leave the cave. And uh, it's, it's kind of like, so you, you literally feel like a caveman. Um, and um, this it's like this kind of crisis is the kind of significant one where you 
want a functioning country. Like in the past, you could maybe at least try to go on CNN, have a debate between people, or Fox News or elsewhere. But now there's no debate. And, and yes, of course, the situation is unprecedented. Um, this kind of is a totally new situation. It's confusing to me one, we had the Spanish flu, but that was not in modern times. That was 100 years ago. But the thing is, we have flu epidemics. I mean, in my lifetime, I remember SARS, bird flu, swine flu. But none of those ever meant was significant in the U.S. I guess none of them were considered dangerous. Well, I thought SARS was dangerous, but maybe it wasn't infectious. But, so this is... A new situation, and and so we, in a sense, yeah, the the experts are overtasked um, because it's like it's it's literally it's like kind of brain surgery. It's like what do you do? You go too far this way, you have no no economy, and the whole country starves. You go too far that way, and you are potentially having an risk of huge, you know, casualties. So what do you do? But people are kind of in the dark because there's no debate. They just kind of hold on to their leaders, but the, the faith runs out because people realize that there's more to it than just clinging on to whatever some person you listen to says. And so, in fact, people are more scared. And in this situation, people could debate things, and then the better the ideas could fight with each other, and the better ideas could come out. And we could just have some understanding, and just the idea of people expressing themselves, and, you know, kind of authorities listening would be helpful. Um, because... Of course, there are consequences to this lockdown because it's not a way normal people live. There's consequences, and and my thinking has always been like, okay, viruses spread fast. Um, you know, so let's say a flu could easily infect half the population, if not more. Of course, at a certain point, it gets kind of herd immunity effects and logistic growth effects and the rate of increase decreased you know decreases but so you know on one hand like a virus could affect a substantial amount of population and if it's bad then that could be a horrible situation but then you know i'm thinking the lockdown affects everybody it affects 100 percent of the population from birth to you know, almost dead. And, um, so there's consequences. I'd like, we're like ruining like kids' lives. Because what are you doing if you're two years old right now? What are you doing if you're eight years old right now? And it's like, are we just gonna like take a year or more off of kids, people, everyone's life? of just nothingness, 
That's how you want to debate. And when you have your experts say, oh, we'll just get a vaccine. You know, sure, we'll rush a vaccine to you six months, eight months. But it's like, we're not going to trust that. If it takes five years to get a vaccine ready normally, we're not going to trust a vaccine that was created in six months. Are you going to compel people to take it, you know, using whatever justification? That's going to cause a very bad crisis situation. So that's why we need it. At least people should have the ability to express their opinions and have authorities listen. But it's like, listen. Because the way I see it, I mean, you know, like, is it really right for a kid to kind of lose out a year of life? And a lot of important development going on, and they're just kind of scooped up stuff. Um, the way, the way I, and, and, um, like, you know, Nassim Taleb, the thinker, he points, he says, you know, points out, okay, you know, looking at all the pandemics in the world, some are extremely deadly, black death, you know, of course, you know, they kind of, is it really apples to apples, because back then they didn't know how they worked, they didn't know about washing hands and all that. We didn't have the medications we have now. And, um, but uh, I'm saying, we know this is a flu virus. Doesn't that limit kind of the range of how deadly it could be? And we have a lot of evidence, months and months of evidence of, okay, in various countries, what percentage of people are dying, how old are they? And I guess, you know, I kind of thought of a, sort of mathematical way to think about it. I, is it the right way to think about it? I don't know, but... Okay, for instance, you know, if we're saying... Let's say that this... Let's say, conservatively, I think this is over-aggressive at this point, but that this whole COVID you know, crisis lasts six months, and then back to normal. So that's 300... Let's, you know, simplify. 300 million people... For half a year. So that's a 150 million human years kind of lost. 150 million human years. Now let's, yeah, 150 million human years. Compare that to, um, let's say a worst case scenario, like super, let's say this COVID would have killed 5 million people. Okay, five, and that's that's kind of like extremely liberal. There was no model saying that would happen. But let's be extremely liberal and, and say five million people will be killed in America. And um, let's say the average, let's say the average person getting killed. Let's be extremely liberal again. Ten years of life. Using two extremely liberal estimates, 5 million people dead, on average 10 years of life left to live, 50, that's 50 million human years. That's, only, that's a third of the 150 million human years that would be lost 
you know, but also I use conservative estimate for that. But for sure, people are losing this life. 150 million human years, people who are young, kids, you know, all ages, versus, you know, super liberally, 50 million human years. So if we compare human years lost, I don't see a situation where, where, um, where there would be more human years lost if, if there were no, you know, mitigation whatsoever, then, then kind of, uh, then kind of what we are doing now. Um, I don't know if that's the right way to think about it, or, but it's something, um, yeah, I mean, it totally devastates everyone's life. I mean, it's really a crazy, dreary situation where you're kind of living on edge every single day. Incredibly stressful. And as people will point out, the stress actually makes people more likely to get sick, kind of chronic conditions, and die. So, like, there's that effect. People losing their job makes people sick. You know, alcoholism, people lose their job and they're stressed. Child abuse, spousal abuse. So everything is going to hell right now all out of safety and to the point where they're like, look, we just kind of rationally talk about, okay, like what's the worst case scenario of this virus versus what's the worst case scenario of this lockdown? And kind of compare and say, look, we gotta maybe change course because what we're doing is just ruining everyone's life out of, you know, caution, so to speak. People are really confused because it's been months, what, three, four months? And there's, like, no information, no debate. Has we learned anything new? It's just kind of slow, like, very piece by piece that, you know, Fauci and Burks are like, oh, we just heard that it could be dangerous to children. I'm going to test that out. And they just kind of react to whatever is the latest news, whatever local news is saying. It's like these experts are saying the same thing. So it's like, but can we get some more kind of, on the whole analysis, kind of, like, okay, so what's the deal, like, you know, what is the risk of this virus, who is at risk, um, and, um, because it's a really terrible situation, I mean, you can try all you want to act like it's not happening, but it's a horrible situation, because, because nobody has any clue how to get out of this, except you're saying, like, vaccine, but we're not naive here. If you say six-month vaccine, we're not going to trust you. And, uh, I mean, you know, what if a vaccine comes out, but, oh, 1% people had serious side effects? Are you going to make us take that when if less than 1% of people are going to have uh, serious side effects? actual virus so you know what I'm saying it's like so it's kind of crazy you know they're forcing us down one this does not inspire confidence is what I'm saying when you're saying oh there's only one path out of this vaccine oh it'll work for sure just give us a couple months people don't trust that people do not trust that and it's just this whole mitigation is making us take forever whereas if we just kind of um Quarantine the at-risk elderly and, you know, long-condition asthmatic population and just kind of wrote it out. It's 
would have been, from what I've heard, like a six to eight week ordeal. But now it's just been months of hell. And it's, it's just psychological. It's just when there's no end in sight, people go crazy. There's an end in sight, people can handle it. Um, and, and, um, ben Carson, when he was running for president in 2015, you know, as a doctor, I remember he said, he said, this country is in critical condition. Um, and we need to do something, I think, like we need to do open heart surgery, I think was what he said, on this country. And, you know, he's was describing it kind of socially, morally, where the country was standing. You know, since that time, I don't think anything has improved. It's gotten worse, more chaotic, worse situation. And this, this virus just kind of like, this virus could be the death of this country what I'm saying. You know what I mean? It's kind of weird, kind of mixed metaphor, but like this virus, the effect of what it's having on society could end up destroying this country because it's just too much to handle. The country was already in bad mental, kind of cold cultural shape as it was, and now this, and there's no debate, there's no unified American response in any way, it's just squabbles and politics and all this crap, but meanwhile people's lives are like, just horrible. Um, So yeah, this is this could be a human catastrophe. That's kind of what that's kind of why there's so much kind of resentment towards these experts. Because you're saying you're trying to prevent us from a health catastrophe, but we see clearly coming in a humanitarian uh, you know, social, psychological, cultural catastrophe and it's just rolling right in. And it's like yeah, you know, I kind of want to gamble, if that's the term, you know? Taking a small, teeny gamble on on this physical catastrophe to avoid a cultural catastrophe, I would take it. What some people maybe call a Faustian gambit, but I think you got to kind of make those calls sometimes. It's not like we live forever, you know? You minimize the possibility of bad things happening, but you can't just eliminate it. And it's just very confusing and concerning why this didn't happen with swine flu and bird flu and SARS, why there was nothing like this, I too, too don't know. I, I, I don't have enough knowledge, but I just I don't get it. And I think a lot of people do not get what is going on in the world. Very stressful. Tons. Everyone knows that in the end, the, the amount of death and sickness as a result of this. Everyone knows that 
But yeah, the enemy count is going to be tons of sickness and death coming out of this, but not from the COVID. It's going to be from all the psychological things and stress and unemployment and depression and just, you know, people get, when people are stressed, cancer goes up, heart disease. People aren't going to the doctor because they're scared, so they're going to be more likely to get sicker and die. So everyone is just seeing this. Everyone is seeing, everyone's like seeing the future, but the experts don't get it. They're so myopic. And we don't trust the numbers from New York because we're just counting everybody as COVID. They don't need to test for COVID. And, you know, people are stressed, and that's probably making them more likely to die from COVID. So this sort of seems like absurdity. It really seems like some sort of absurdity of these precautions that end up destroying everything. I read today that um, John Ioannidis, the Stanford professor, said that with the Spanish flu, apparently the median age of death was 27. Can you believe that? I mean, it's like just, I think that's the median age of death of uh, anybody. I mean, the median age of the population probably was 27. So the Spanish flu average, you know, young person was dying from Spanish flu. So it's a completely different beast. When we're saying an average age of death of 80 here, totally different. And so I don't see how you justify it. And despite all that, in the U.S., only 0.5%. So this is what's really confusing. Spanish flu killed so many people, but at the same time, it was... Like, median age 27, you would have think that would have wiped out, like, a third of the country. But it only killed 0.5%. And now we're seeing so-called COVID. They said the, the rate of deaths in New York compared to antibody. Now people with antibodies were saying, suggesting a 0.5% kill rate. But it could be even less because not everyone develops antibodies and they're saying that there's like huge asymptomatic, like 40% of infection is through asymptomatic people who never even get any symptoms. And I think no one knows until the final numbers come in, but okay, where are we at now? Right, like 100,000 people died from COVID out of 300 million. Okay, so that's one out of... 300, 1 out of 3,000, 1 out of 3,000 is point, uh, point 0.1, point 0.033%. Right now we're at point 0.033% of people have died from COVID, which is so minuscule. No one's sure of these numbers. Higher, I mean, it could be higher, it could be lower, because... There's no accuracy, but we're like destroying the world because of that. We're creating a crisis that will last indefinitely long. But no, Mr. Bill Gates is so excited to make everyone sit around and wait for a vaccine that, of course, you know, his funding is going to create. And then everyone will say, yes, oh, yeah, Bill Gates, thank you. Thank you so much. You're a hero. You're number one. I'm going to name museum after you. You're the most generous person uh, in the world. 
Oh, so we have to like do this all Bill Gates way because he's the big funder of this. Big problem. But I think that the 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 problems that were in our society before this happened are what have completely exacerbated this crisis from something that could have been dealt with at least as best we can to a total disaster because we have no news, we have no actual normal politics, we have no debate of anything, we have no society. Um, so I don't know how to get out of this. Um, I, don't, I don't know, it's, it's a terrible situation. I mean, I guess sometimes it rains pours, you know, some things happen and then things get worse and they keep getting worse and worse and it never lets up until you're almost dead and that's just how life works. I'm sort of, you know, thinking of the plot of Gone with the Wind here where uh, Scarlet, everything is subsequently worse. At first she's a spoiled kid and then she gets a heartbreak where the guy she likes, you know, actually marries someone else, not her. And that's the worst thing in the world. And then things just get subsequently worse problems. He keeps learning what the worst really is until he really experiences the worst. And that seems to be where we're heading as a country. Just kind of comfy life to things getting worse and worse on the different levels. And 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 we keep learning what the worst really is or how far it can go. And the truth is, no, we're not at the worst, because we, anyone who knows history knows there's much worse things than this. At least we have food right now. But, um, I don't know. You know I just think, when I, from what I've heard, when there's a crisis, it kind of, it can either destroy people, or people can kind of come out of it and thrive. And this works on the individual level, family level, and country level. So what's going to happen here is either this situation completely destroys the country, or we come out of it. We, we have resilience, and we we you know come together and and uh, make our way through this, and you know get out stronger. But it's it's two options and it's completely our choice. So I think that is what I will end on. Thank you.